Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. We're looking at Matthew chapter 27, and we're looking at verses 11 through 26. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1547. Matthew 27, verses 11 through 26. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which one do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that, had, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Thus ends our reading of God's salvific word. May all who hear it find acceptance from their Father in heaven through the blood of the one who was rejected by men. When I was 18 years old and I first went off to college, I I remember feeling all alone and a bit scared. I wasn't necessarily worried about how my classes, how hard they would be, or whether I'd get lost in such a a large campus. What I I was truly anxious about was whether or not I would be accepted. For some reason, I got stuck in this hall in the dorm uh, where the only freshmen living on my hall were myself and my roommate, Andrew, a kid who I just met. You see, the, the, the rest of the people on that hall, they, they were upperclassmen. They, they had been friends already. They knew each other from the previous year. They had developed these strong bonds with one another. And I was thinking to myself, now how am I supposed to keep, compete with that? Where, where will I fit in? Would I be accepted? Or would I be rejected? 
I think in some sense, acceptance is something that we all desire. For, for deep down, we, we all tend to, to feel inadequate in some way. Like we don't measure up. As if the people in our lives are going to reject us. And, and in some ways, we're, we're right. Those feelings are correct. For, for the reality of the situation is that none of us measure up. We, we all fall short of, of what is expected. But, but where do these expectations come from? From our parents? From our peers? From society as a whole? Yes, yes, and yes. But, but it's more than just that. For, for ultimately, the, the acceptance that we are truly looking for, that, that we genuinely desire, is an acceptance from our Father in Heaven. And yet we know that, that, that deep within, we can never achieve the standard that God has set. And so many of us, many of us, never come to the Father. Because we fear his rejection. We are now in our fifth week of this sermon series entitled Necessary. And we have been looking at the things that, that are pretty much essential for God's redemptive plan. How, how he is going to rescue us from our sins. And if you remember, the first thing that we saw was the necessity for it to be God's will to carry out this redemptive plan in the first place. He must be the one who desires our salvation. For if it were up to us, we would, we would not choose it, we would not want it. And then it was at the Lord's Supper that we saw the necessity for Jesus to establish a new covenant in his blood. And the reason that this was necessary was, was because the old covenant was insufficient Insufficient to rescue us from our sins. And then it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where we witness our Lord pray to his Father that, that awesome prayer, not as I will, but as you will. We saw Jesus submit himself to his Father's will, even though he knew that that will would, would ultimately mean that he would have to drink the cup of his Father's wrath. And yet it was necessary for us to have a submissive Savior in order for God's redemptive plan to be carried out. And then we looked at the trial of Jesus, where our Lord stood silent before the Jewish high council as false accusations were brought one after another. And yet none of these false witnesses could draw the charge that the high priest was looking for. It was only after the confession of our Lord that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that the high priest then tore his robes and cried, Blasphemy! And then the high priest and all the chief priests, they condemned our Lord by saying that he is worthy of death. You see, it was necessary for us to have a condemned Savior in order that we, as God's children, can be declared innocent. And then last week, we, we looked at the betrayal of both Peter and Judas and the remorse that each one of them felt as they realized the weight of their own sins. 
And we saw that it is only through Jesus that that weight can be removed as true forgiveness can only come through him. And that is why it was necessary for us to also have a forgiving Savior. And all of that leads us to today. And the sixth necessary element for God's redemptive plan. The necessity of a rejected Savior. It's the prophet Isaiah who foretold this about our Lord. Who who, who saw this coming when he saw the vision of God's suffering servant. Uh, Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 3 read this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That is a description of our Lord. He is rejected. When we think about our society today and all the, all the people whom we idolize, whom we accept. It, it always tends to be that those people that, that we put up on the pedestal are just a bit shallow and somewhat superficial. You know, they, 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 they tend to demonstrate maybe an outward beauty or, or worldly success. They they maybe have a charismatic personality or have been gifted in, in some, some way with a, a raw power or ability. I mean, just think about the people who we revere. Athletes and movie stars and, and business moguls and, and the ultra-rich. We, we idolize these people because they seem to have it all together. And yet, if we are honest with ourselves, I I think the real reason that that we're drawn to people such as this is because we ourselves want to be where they are at. They are the accepted ones, right? And we don't want to be rejected. But then there's Jesus, a man whom we should all desire to be like, and yet he is a man whom the world rejects. A man of suffering and of great grief. A man who was despised and esteemed not. And no more do we see this than in our scripture for today. Look at, look at Matthew 27 verses 11 through 14. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. It is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. 
Jesus was now before Pilate, this Roman governor who ruled over Jerusalem, the, the, the very man who would decide his fate. Who, who was this man named Pilate? Well, he was one of the accepted, right? He was a Roman elite, one who had power, one who had success, one who people probably idolized. He was a military leader, the one whom Caesar, the, the high one, right, the, the one who everyone idolizes, Caesar sent him to Jerusalem in order to keep the people in check. But Pilate was no friend of the Jews. In fact, we, we learn from Josephus, the, the ancient Jewish historian, that, that Pilate secretly hated where, where Caesar had sent him because he loathed everything about the Jewish people. You see, what you have to understand is that Pilate was a man of law and order. And the Jews had this natural tendency to rebel. And so at the start of his term as governor, he, he tried to rule him with an iron fist. Well, the chief priests and the elders, they had little love for him as well. There was this one incident that really made him very unpopular with them. For he had taken money from the temple and used that money in order to build an aqueduct into the city. Here was this man who showed little regard for what the Jews considered sacred. And after this event, naturally, this set off a riot within the city as people protested what, what Pilate had done. But instead of being intimidated by the masses, Pilate retaliated by bringing in his soldiers, and slaughtering many. We read about another instance in the Gospel of Luke where you see the same disregard for, for, for the Jews and, and what they hold as sacred. For there was another time when Pilate had killed some Galileans and then used their blood to desecrate the temple of God. Let's just say there was no love lost between the people of Jerusalem and their Roman governor. And yet Pilate, he was also treading on thin ice with Rome as well. Because of his actions, the, the city, it actually grew more unstable. And Caesar was not pleased with this man. And he had threatened this governor not only to have him removed, but to have him banished. Unless he shaped up. And so Pilate, he, by the time Jesus entered in Jerusalem, he was now performing this balancing act of trying to maintain authority on one end and then, and then preventing any more riots from springing up. For the last person that, that Pilate would want to upset would be Caesar. And so what we see today, when Jesus was brought before this man, this was a headache that he did not want to have to deal with. And yet the charge was treason. And the punishment for treason is death. But there is Jesus. And he's this popular figure among the masses. And so if Pilate has Jesus executed, what's going to happen? It may trigger another riot. Something that Pilate was hoping, hoping to avoid. Now, the way these Roman trials that were conducted, it would be the governor, the magistrate, Pilate, 
who would typically hear all the charges first and then question the defendant, allowing that man time to make his defense, make an appeal for his life. And yet, as we've seen before, Jesus, he did not say a word. Our our Lord remained silent. And this silence, it says it, it amazed Pilate. Because if he didn't speak, he would have no defense. He, he would just simply be a condemned man. And why would anyone not give a defense when their life is on the line? And yet we all know that Jesus' silence was a testimony to his own willingness to suffer as a ransom for many. He desired to be found guilty even though he was innocent. But Pilate, he, he was no dimwit either. He He knew that things were not in the up and up. And he probably realized early on that these religious leaders had their own personal beef with this man. I mean, when you put two and two together, it it wouldn't have been that difficult to figure out. I mean, think about it. These men had zero loyalty to Rome. And they loved Pilate even less. And so why would they hand over to him someone with the charge of treason? I mean, even if they didn't agree with this person, with the one who, committed, who was committing the treason, they, they would have never turned him in. Rather, they would have remained neutral in the situation because it favored them to do so. You see, they had power that they could lose as well. For, for if you turn in a zealot, uh, an insurrectionist, then you might be upsetting the masses and lose favor with the people. Of course, they would never defend a zealot either, for neither would they want to have Rome on their bad side. And so here they were, as as if loyal, loyal citizens, turning in this Jesus and accusing him of treason. Well, Pilate smelled a rat. He, He knew that they had ulterior motives. And yet Jesus wasn't making his job easy. For this man would not defend himself. And so finally, he asked Jesus a simple, simple question. Are you the king of the Jews? Perhaps if this man simply answered no, then he could just throw out the charges and release him. But that's not what Jesus did. Instead, he confessed. Yes, it is as you say. Now, what was Pilate to do? It, it was obvious that this man was innocent and, and that he was really no threat to Rome. But he had just confessed to the crime that he was accused of. And there was only one verdict possible. Guilty. You see, what Pilate didn't understand was that Jesus wanted to be convicted. He wanted to be condemned to death. And that's why his words were few. Few, but damning. Let's read further and see what happens next. Look at verses 15 through 18. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So so when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, Which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas... Or Jesus, who was called Christ. For he knew it was out of envy that they handed Jesus over to him. 
Now, as a Roman governor, Pilate had the authority to pardon any convicted criminal that he wanted. And in an effort to gain favor with the people, he had made this ritual at every Passover. It was his kind of goodwill gesture for all of his past mistakes. And so Pilate, he, he brought forth two prisoners, one known as Barabbas, and then there's Jesus, who is called Christ. Perhaps Pilate was thinking to himself, this, this Jesus is very, very popular. Maybe the crowds will, will, will save me here and choose to free this innocent man. I mean, after all, it was just, it was just a few days ago that, that when Jesus entered the city, they were all, all shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. I know that there are people out there that just love him. But, but who should I put up next to him? Who is the, the, the worst, vilest criminal that I have that I can stand next to Jesus to make the choice abundantly obvious? I know. How about Barabbas? Who was this Barabbas? Well, Barabbas was one of those zealots. He was an insurrectionist. Someone who really was trying to overthrow the Roman governor, government. And Matthew describes him as this notorious prisoner. So he was well known as well. And from Mark's gospel, we know that he had been in league with the other two men who would soon be crucified next to our Lord. Barabbas was a violent, violent man responsible for committing murder in one of the uprisings that he caused. And so in Pilate's eyes, if anyone should have been condemned, it should have been Barabbas. You see, Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the chief priests and the elders handed Jesus over to them. And, and so he tried to outwit them by playing their own game. He would get the crowds to pick Jesus and free the very man that these men so, so hated. But if Pilate needed any more reason to try to release Jesus, then he was given another. Look at, look at verse 19. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now, now, what you have to understand is that Romans were very superstitious people. And an omen such as, as this would not have been ignored. This warning from Pilate's wife, it would have only further convinced him that Jesus was innocent. It would have confirmed what he was already thinking. I find it highly probable that this dream that this woman received came directly from God. God was using this woman and her husband Pilate for his purpose. And so what we see happening is Pilate, he would do all that he could short of risking his own authority to free this man. And so he put before the people Jesus and Barabbas. And the choice was obvious. Or was it? You see, the, the chief priests and the elders, they were also a determined bunch. And they would not let this stunt that Pilate was trying to pull to ruin their plans. Look at verses 20 and 21. 
But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. These religious leaders were now demonstrating the leverage that they really possessed, the, the, the type of pull that they had with the people. I mean, today, when, when we hear the words Sadducee and Pharisee, I mean, that's who these men were, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, we, we, we automatically think of them as the bad guys, the, the villains in the story. But what we must understand is that for the most part during that time, they held enormous sway over the people. They were revered. They were respected. They were the good guys. They were the accepted ones, the ones that people idolized. And the other thing to know is that not everyone was on Jesus' bandwagon. And in fact, in Jerusalem, probably the majority of the people were not convinced that this Jesus was the Messiah. Sure, he had his crowd on, on Palm Sunday, but how many of them were then turned off when Jesus cleansed the temple? How many of them had, them had their feathers ruffled when he went toe-to-toe with their religious leaders? And this was now reflected upon the crowd's reaction to the choice that they were given. Jesus or Barabbas. They would choose the murderer. They would choose Barabbas. Brothers, sisters, this same choice is before you today. Do you want this king who who disrupts, disrupts how you run your own life? Do you want this Messiah who says says to you that if you follow me, you will be hated by the world around you? Do you want this Son of God who tells you to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him? Or do you want Barabbas, a man who asks nothing of you, but allows you to continue your life as if you were your own master? The crowds chose Barabbas. Whom will you choose? But there was more to it than just choosing one man or over another, as we'll soon see. Look at, look at verses 22 and 23. What shall I do then with Jesus, who was called Christ, Pilate asked? They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Dear friends, I I hope you understand that that Pilate, he was still trying to save Jesus' life. He he was looking for some kind of out. What what shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? This question that Pilate asked was asked in a manner as if there was an uncertainty to what should be done. What do you want me to do with this man who has done nothing wrong? To Pilate's shock, he witnessed the animosity and the, and the vitriol towards this Jesus. They, they hated the man and all that he stood for. They, they wanted him dead. 
But not just any death. They, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted him to suffer, to be cursed, to be an object of public scorn. And so Pilate pleaded with him again. Why? What crime has this man committed? You see, Pilate, he saw no threat when it came to Jesus. None. He was unlike Barabbas, a man who was a true insurrectionist, a murderer. This Jesus, he was not a violent man. And he was definitely not deserving of death. Why? What crime has he committed? But the crowd shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Now what you have to know about Pilate was that he was not a very courageous man. He was looking to save his own skin. And remember, he was already on thin ice with Caesar. And if another riot started out, it would not do him any good. And while he had the power to set Jesus free, even against the crowd's will, he would rather let this innocent man die in order to save his own skin. And so he would give in to the people's desire. He would give them their pound of flesh. But he would do so on his own terms. He would wash his hands clean. Look at, look at verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. Now this symbolic act of washing one's hands was not a Roman custom, but a Jewish custom. Pilate chose this demonstration because he knew it would be understood by the masses. In fact, it was, it was his way of showing his contempt towards them. This is on your head. Not mine. It's your responsibility. If you remember, those were the same exact words that the chief priests and the elders gave to Judas when he tried to return that blood money. What is that to us? That's your responsibility. Their, their lack of compassion, their lack of mercy had now returned upon themselves. And yet... They didn't seem to mind. Because look at the crowd's response. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Think about that response. Let his blood be on us and on our children. These people were filled with so much hatred that they were willing to take upon the curse of killing an innocent man. And not just upon themselves, but upon their children as well. They didn't care about the, about the consequences so long as Jesus was out of their lives. Turn to Acts chapter 5 and look at verses 27 and 28. Having brought the apostles, they, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And then listen to this. 
and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. The gall of these religious leaders is absolutely astounding. These were the same exact men who were shouting, Crucify! Crucify! The same exact men who cried, Let his blood be on us and our children! And now that blood was crying out, and they wanted no part of it. They wanted Jesus to be gone and never heard from again. But you can't kill off the Lord of life, no matter how hard you try. Here's the deal. What what we see in this story is God, he is intricately weaving together the lives of these vastly, vastly different people. He brings them together to work out his redemptive plan of salvation. First, there's Pilate, who was this wicked, wicked ruler. A man who was only looking out for number one. And, And though he had no love for Jesus, he had no love for the Jews either. And so God used this man to demonstrate Christ's innocence to his own people. And then there's Barabbas, the guilty man. The man who should have been crucified. The man whom Pilate had prepared that cross for. And yet, he was a man who was set free as Jesus took his place. In a sense, he was redeemed by the blood of of Christ. And then there are the Jews, God's chosen people, a people who knew God's word well and should have recognized the Messiah when he had first arrived. And yet instead, what do we find them doing? They reject their king, the one who had come to save them. And in so doing, they called down a curse upon themselves. And in a way, we, we have all at one time or another have been in these people's shoes, have we not? We have been like Pilate, looking out for number one. Not willing to do all that we could to stand up for that innocent man who is our Lord. Because to do that would cost us too much. And we have been like Barabbas, the guilty one. The one for whom that cross was constructed. It should have been us who who hung from that tree, dying for our own sins. And we have all been like the crowd as well. Choosing Barabbas over Jesus. Chanting, crucify, crucify. For that is what we proclaim every time we declare our own independence by breaking one of God's commands. Dear friends, I I hope you realize that we have all rejected Jesus. We we all have blood on our hands and, and we may try to wash them clean, but they're still stained. And yet, there is still one more character who fills our story out. One more man whom we must mention. There is Jesus, who is called Christ. 
He is the one who was silent before Pilate, even as his accusers, accusers hurled their accusations. He, he is the one who confessed to being the king of the Jews, even though he knew that that charge would cost him his life. He was the one who was innocent and yet took the place of the guilty man. He was the one who was ready to die for man's sins. He was the one who was rejected by his own people, a people that he loved, the very ones he was trying to rescue. And that's just it. It was necessary for Jesus to be rejected by his own in order for God's redemptive plan to be accomplished. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And because he was rejected, we can now claim this promise. Look at Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Amen. Amen. Jesus would be rejected by his people in order that you and I would not be rejected by our Father in heaven. So that you and I could be reconciled. That we could find acceptance and welcome into his kingdom. Not based upon anything about you, but based upon who Jesus is. He is our rejected Lord who saves us. He went to the cross instead of Barabbas, instead of you, and instead of me. And that is why it was necessary for us to have a rejected Savior. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we are we are not worthy to, to come to you even in prayer. We are a sinful, sinful people, and, and you should be the one who is rejecting us. Our hands are stained with blood, and yet you welcome us with open arms because of what your Son has done for us. He took upon the rejection that we deserve. He took upon our scorn. He took upon our shame, and he bore it all. And for that, we are eternally, eternally grateful. We ask now that you would help us to believe this message, that you would produce within us a saving faith, a faith that can only come by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.